Hello, ladies. Whoa, that works. <laughs> I don't have to scream. That's pretty good. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. I think that's where we are tonight, right? 
Um, I, I, this is Miss Pam Zink. She's going to tell you a little bit about Susan in just a minute. I'm Robin McMichael. I'm part of our women's ministry here. Welcome to Northside. Hopefully, uh, most important thing, you found the bathroom. Uh, go out the foyer. It's on the right. Uh, the left one is the guys, so don't go that way. Um, again, uh, we hope you have a great time tonight. Hopefully, everybody got an outline um, for, uh, to go with our um, uh, discussion tonight. Um, Susan will tell you in a little bit about the books out in the foyer. So uh, welcome especially to our, our friends from different churches. We're glad you came. And again, Miss Pam's going to tell you a little bit about Miss Susan, and then she's going to be with us. Thank you, ladies, for coming tonight, and especially the ladies who came from other churches. Um, I know you saw her on the website, and I, we're just, we welcome you, and just we're so excited to have our sisters in Christ with us. Um, I started doing Susan Heck Bible studies a couple of years ago, and she is just an amazing woman, very grounded. Um, it, it completely changed um, everything when I began to study God's Word and in truth. And uh, I encourage you, if you've never done one of her Bible studies, to uh, dive into the Word because it will come out never the same I promise you that um, and she also has books out there if you want to do any Bible studies on, on your own um, as well as uh, doing it as a, a women's ministry uh, that's it's also a, a good option but it's a good way to introduce Susan um, she's like I said just an amazing woman we're so excited to have her here thank you men the men's ministry for doing this uh, because uh, We are just blown away uh, walking everyone in, and, and that was just so precious, and then uh, feeding us and uh, cleaning up. We don't have to clean up or anything. I don't know about y'all, but I'm excited about that. I, anytime I don't have to clean it up, that's great. Or, or cook it. What are we having for dinner tonight? You know, right? But uh, anyway, we welcome Susan, and we're just so excited to get, get started in this, and I know tonight it's on speaking truth and love in a post modern world so um, so thank you so much good evening ladies um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the books first just because I don't normally do one night stands in many ways I don't do one night stands <laughs> Even though I'm a widow of, of eight months, I don't do one-night stands. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, um, normally when I come, I usually do a conference, usually speaking three, sometimes up to eight times in a weekend. So um, I am coming back to Noonan, Georgia in, uh, jo in uh, October. So uh, if you want to sign up our sign-up sheet, which I can tell you about right now, I just put your name there, and you'll get an email letting you know when I'm going to speak in your area or when a book comes out. So this is Deb, and she's been traveling with me for... Uh, 25 years we've been traveling and doing ladies conferences and retreats and uh, so the Lord has brought us together and we're very thankful for his his mercy and kindness to us so when the Lord saved me about 35 36 years ago in his kindness I was brought up in a, a Baptist minister's home and I heard the gospel uh, very faithfully from my father um, and I got saved and baptized three times but never took and uh 
I just kept living in sin and really was more like uh, the hypocrites. I was inwardly uh, full of hypocrisy and deceit and outwardly looked like, you know, like he says, you look like the real thing, but inwardly I was not. And so um, at the age of 30, the Lord in his kindness, uh, extenuating circumstances, uh, drew me to himself. And the first time in my life I repented of my sins and saw myself as a sinner and came to faith in Christ and made him Lord of my life. So that was uh, when my life changed, and I know my husband was very happy about that because the first 10 years of our marriage were quite challenging because of me, not him. And um, so I stand up here this evening as a sinner saved by the grace of my Lord. But anyway, after the Lord saved me, I... uh, I wanted to, my husband had just graduated from seminary and we moved back to Oklahoma and I wanted to uh, teach the ladies the Bible. And so I went to the bookstore, actually with Deb, uh, the local bookstore there in Tulsa, looking for Bible study material for women. And if you've ever done that, it's it's a trip. And uh, there's just not a lot out there. There's a lot of felt needs books and things like that, but I couldn't find any Bible study, so I thought, well, I'll just write my own, never intending to be an author or speaker or anything like that. I just wanted to help my husband shepherd the women in our church, and so I started writing Bible studies for ladies, and uh, because of the encouragement of my husband and one of the ladies who mentors me, and um, a friend of mine who's an author, some of you might know her, Martha Peace, who wrote The Excellent Wife, uh, they encouraged me to do this, so to get, get them published. And so through that uh, publishing of my Bible studies and other materials, this is why uh, that the Lord has done all this. I've never opened any doors. He's opened every one of them. So to date, I've written 15 Bible studies for women. If you uh, don't know, uh, have never done any of my studies, they're all expository. And don't let that word scare you. It's just, it's not a big word. It's, it's really okay. Uh, read Ezra and you'll know what expository means. Just explain the text. So I do verse by verse through books of the Bible for women with illustration and application for women. Uh, At the end of every one of my sessions or chapters, or if you get on YouTube, uh, all my stuff, we're trying to get everything up on YouTube or my website, withthemaster.org. You can listen to the audio that way. So at the end of every chapter, there are study questions, digging deeper. Uh, There's application questions, and there's usually a scripture memorization verse. And so if you're not familiar with my studies, that's the way they're written. The first one that I wrote was with the master uh, in the School of Tested Faith, which is on James. And James is just a very practical book. James is very black and white. You're in a, you're, you are either in or out. And he starts out by saying, My brother, count all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, the testing of your faith produces patience. So he starts talking about trials and then talking about genuine wisdom and how do you know if the wisdom that you possess is from above uh, or if it's from the earth's earthly, sensual, demonicle uh, that causes uh, confusion and every evil work. So uh, James is just very practical, and I, if you've never done any of my studies, that might be a good place to start. Uh, the second one, With the Master on Our Knees, I've al- already written a second volume to this. It's not published yet. Um, this is a little bit different than my other studies in that it's prayers of the Bible. I start with uh, Jehoshaphat's prayer, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And the great army was coming against him, the Moabites, the Ammonites. And he's like, I can't fight this army. I can't do it. And uh, they're coming to invade my land. And so I draw out 11 principles there of what to do when you don't know what to do. And when I got the call over eight months ago that my husband had passed away, 
Um, I couldn't go to the hospital to see him while he was in the hospital, but they let me come uh, after he passed and uh, called my son. He was upstairs, and uh, we went there, and before we changed our clothes to go uh, see his father, um, I remember seeing that those 11 principles of what to do when you don't know what to do. I have them calligraphied, and they are hanging in my bathroom. And I thought, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to acknowledge your goodness. I'm going to acknowledge your greatness. And I went down those 11 principles. So I start with that prayer, uh, Solomon's Prayer for Wisdom, Prayer of the Ten Lepers, Prayer Before the Cross. There's two chapters here on prayer and fasting uh, because I think that's a lost discipline in our culture. And yet Jesus expects his children to be fasting. Uh, he doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. And uh, ladies, if you've ever done a study, a word study on fasting, in every instance where God's children fasted and prayed, God intervened, except one. And uh, that is when David committed adultery uh, with Bathsheba, had her husband Uriah murdered on the front lines of battle. And remember, Nathan the prophet came in and he said, David, you should die. In the Old Testament, he would have been stoned to death. Uh, you should die. You're not going to die. The child's going to die. And so David heard that news, and he fell prostrate on the ground, and for seven days he fasted and prayed, and yet God took the child because God doesn't lie. And so that's the only instance. So uh, this is, a, if you're interested in prayer, that's a good read. And as I said, there's a volume two. It's just not out yet. This one is on uh, with the master in fullness of joy on Philippians. Uh, Paul is in a Roman imprisonment. It's not like our prisons here. Uh, where you get to have your own computer, iPad, you get to work, and you get to put money in the canteen, and out pops a butterfinger. Uh, that is not what Roman imprisonment wasn't like. And so Paul's chained to a Roman soldier. It's dark, very few toilets, uh, very little water, very little food. Um, and the smell, they said, was, was sickening from very few toilets. Um, most prisoners begged for a speedy death. Many of them committed suicide. And yet, in Philippians, he's writing from that prison, from that kind of an atmosphere. And he calls the church at Philippi to rejoice, be glad, be happy, in everything be content. Whether you have little, whether you have everything, whether you're hungry, you're full, be content. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so, here's a man that ladies leaves a legacy for us. If you struggle with discontent, if you struggle with worry, if you struggle with anxiety, uh, if you struggle with being joyful even in the midst of very hard situations, then this is the epistle for you, uh, Philippians. With the master before the mirror of God's word is on 1 John. Uh, John is writing this. He's about 100 years old when he writes 1 John, and he writes this in order that they might know for sure that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written unto you that you might know for sure you have eternal life. Ladies, you don't have to be in doubt about where you're going to go when you step into eternity. I know my husband had said when he talked through 1 John, he said when it came time for him to die, he did not want anyone around his bed. Uh, he wanted to make sure he was ready to step into eternity. And ladies, that's the most important thing uh, tonight. It's not that you're being treated as a royalty, even though that's great, and that you just had pasta. That's great. Well, it's not great for me because you're going to fall asleep. But it's, <laughs> it's great for you, and that's why I don't eat before I teach. So I'm going to be the only one up here with energy. But uh, you need to make sure you're ready to step into eternity. You might know, say, well, how do I know for sure? Well, John gives a series of 20 tests. 
How can I know for sure? This is how I know I know him. If I keep his commandments, this is how I know I know him. If I love the brethren and on and on he goes. He's also combating a terrible uh, heresy in his day called Gnosticism, which is nothing more than what we see in our day and age. It's called the wackadoodle theology, uh, word of faith, uh, NAR, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's 4,000 cults today, but, but whatever you want to call it, uh, it's a lot like the word of faith movement. Uh, the Word of Faith movement, if you know anything about it, a prosperity gospel, they believe that they're in the know, and quite frankly, you're not. You don't have that hotline to heaven like they do, and you're inferior, and so that's kind of the theology that was going on, the false teachers that were invading the church at Ephesus. So he's combating that. With the Master in Heavenly Places is on Ephesians. First three chapters are what Christ has done, what we have now. We are right now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Ladies, that should make you say hallelujah, even though you're reformed. Uh, that should make you say hallelujah, right? The frozen chosen can still say hallelujah <laughs> and say it, so, right? And uh, the last three chapters on are what, how do we then live? How does this flesh out in my daily life, my parenting, my marriage? Uh, the spiritual armor he deals with in chapter 6, which is not something you put on every morning. It's something you already have. You just need to use it. And so Ephesians is a great epistle. Uh, with the Master's Sermon on the Mount, Martin Lloyd-Jones says is the most profound sermon Jesus ever preached and the least obeyed. And there's where he's taking the standard because he's not looking for legalism. He's not looking for outward manifestations of religion. He's looking for an inward transformation of the heart. And so he'll take things like, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look on a woman to lust after her with your heart, you've already committed adultery. Or you, uh, you've heard it said of old, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're in danger of hellfire. And so Jesus is saying, listen, this is what a kingdom citizen looks like. It's not, it's not paying your, mint, uh, your tithe of mint and anise and cumin. It's the made weightier issues of the law. What's in your heart, ladies? And that's really what Jesus is doing here. He also has a whole chapter on worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. This is what unbelievers do, he says. Pagans do that. He says, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. All this stuff will fall into place, right? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. So he spends almost a whole chapter on worry and anxiety. With the master shepherding the sheep, 1 Timothy, if there's something I think needs to be taught today, it's 1 Timothy. Ladies, I don't know if you realize, at least in my hometown, um, the churches that once stood for truth are not standing for truth anymore. I used to be able to recommend 10 to 12 churches in my hometown. Not anymore. Uh, they're, you know, it's like a circus. It's more like a circus than a church. They've vacated the scriptures. And shepherding the sheep is uh, written by, by Paul to Timothy telling him, how we ought to behave in the house of God, which is the church of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church doesn't look like that anymore. And yet, nothing changes. We might change, but God doesn't change. His standard does not change. And so, what is the role of the woman in the church? What's the role of the man in the church? Uh, what are young where, men, women to do? Uh, marry, get, get married, bear children, rule the house. That's what Paul says in Timothy. Also deals with the doctrines of demons where he says in the latter days that there's going to be doctrines of demons uh, men forbidding us to marry and commanding to abstain from food which God has uh, created for us to be received with thanksgiving so he's also dealing with that as well this one just came out with the master and nothing else which is on Colossians and uh, this epistle is uh, precious to me because when I met my husband at the age of 18 
uh, he had most of the New Testament memorized, and we were dating in Bible school, and, and uh, he asked me if uh, I'd ever memorized any scripture. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a Baptist minister's daughter. I've memorized John 3.16 and the Romans Road. And he goes, no, I'm not talking about just that, Susan. He said, I'm talking about, have you ever memorized a book of the Bible? And I thought, this guy's insane. But anyway, he, he shared with me his method, and I memorized the epistle to Colossians when I was 18 years of age in hopes that he would ask me to marry him, and it worked. And uh, <laughs> even though the night before we got married, he almost called the wedding off because he began to see things in my life. He was like, I'm not sure this woman's a, a genuine believer. And uh, nonetheless, he married me, and thankfully, the Lord saved me 10 years into our marriage. But anyway, Colossians is great. Four short chapters, two on who Christ is. He's, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, what we have in Christ. And then the last two, very practical. Uh, as a biblical counselor and a former pastor's wife, uh, chapter three is just great on put off. You know, when you're trying to help someone with life-dominating sins, how do you do this? You know, and Paul says, put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Don't lie to each other. And so he's putting off all this stuff, right? But then what do you put on in, in its place? Put on as God's children, the, the elect of God, tender mercies, kindness, humility, love, forbearance, forgiveness. And so uh, chapter 4 is just a great uh, help there. also deals with parenting, marriage, and a few more here. The, the, so those are studies of what... Uh, we're hoping next will be first and second Peter, and then as I mentioned, I've written 15. They just are not all published yet, but we're we're working on it. This is a help a little the little help uh, helping women put off life dominating sins. The top seven sins women commit, uh, seven biblical motivations for putting off sin, and then seven practical tips on how to put off sin. This is really kind of the cliff notes of First John. I've kind of condensed it, 20 tests for God's little children. So I take each one of those tests. And this is a great discipling tool, counseling tool. Uh, I use it a lot uh, when I'm discipling other women who struggle with assurance of salvation. I was doing it with one lady that I mentor, used to mentor, don't now. But uh, we want, got to the one on answered prayer. And I said, does God answer your prayers? And uh, she said, that's a problem. I said, what's the problem? She said, I don't pray. And I go, that's a problem. So we talked about prayer and whether or not she really knew the Lord or not. Uh, Spirit-filled marriage, what does a spirit-filled marriage look like? You might say, well, I don't know. Well, buy the book and you'll find out. Um, but anyway, I take the 13 things that must be in place with you and your husband uh, before you can actually live out what Paul says in Ephesians. That is, the husband is to love his wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And then the wife is to respect and honor her husband. Um, so that's that one. Call to discipleship. One of the things I love to do besides teach women the Bible and uh, memorize God's word is mentor other women. Uh, the Lord in his kindness gave me two dis women who disciple me now for 35 years. Um, one's going to be 90 this year. The other one's going to be 80 this year. And uh, I'm taking what they've taught me and pass it on. And so I'm so thankful uh, to be able to mentor other women. So this is my journey through that. What is discipleship? Who should do it? When, where, how? Uh, and ladies, it's a command. I don't know if you know that. Do you know it's a command by God? Older women are to teach young women. It's a command. We are to teach them. And so uh, in our church, probably 95% of all men, women, and many teenagers are discipled. And so it's, it's truly life-changing when you have that one-on-one -on -one time with another person that's pouring into you. 
uh, speaking the truth in love. I won't say much about it because that's what I've been. That's what Pam. So if you're mad after tonight, you blame her. She's the one. I said, "You sure you want me to speak on this for a woman's event?" She goes, "I do. I heard it on YouTube. I want you to do." It. I was like, "Okay." So I'm not telling you what's in that one. So just just hold on to your seat belts and we'll see what happens. So this will probably be my first and last time here. So anyway, uh, but that's all right. Okay, call to scripture memory. This is my journey through it. Uh, when do we do it? Where? How? Why? And I give some tips and share the method that my husband shared with me. And as I mentioned, most of this is all on YouTube as well, so you can watch it. This is just a brochure that has every all of our materials. And this was actually another one-night stand I had. <laughs> I don't do very many one-night stands, <laughs> but this was one of them. I was speaking to an outreach uh, at a church in Arkansas, I think it was. Muslim, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and so they wanted me to talk about Jesus, but I couldn't use the Bible, and I was like, well, I'm sorry, I, don't, I think you've got the wrong speaker, because I don't know how to talk about Jesus without talking about his word, and so I actually turned it down, they called me back, and they said, no, our pastor really wants you to do this, and I said, okay, so I shared the gospel, I mean, what are you going to do when you have a group of women, 300 women were at this event that were mainly all involved in a cult? So I shared the gospel, and so this is my material from that, and I narrowed the gospel down to four points, which all start with the letter L, and so if you have trouble sharing your faith, maybe that would be helpful to you, and this is like Debbie, as I said, but she is not for sale, and so <laughs> you cannot buy her, money cannot buy her, so anyway, uh, if those can be of any help, like I said, I usually don't talk about them the first night, but since we're leaving in the morning to go back to Oklahoma, and if you want any of those materials, we'll stay around as long as you want to stay around. So come talk to us at the book table. So I have been asked to speak tonight on speaking the truth in love in a post-truth world. Pam asked me to do that, and I did ask her why, but I don't know. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, a few weeks ago I was in California, and I spoke on the tongue. All lessons were on the tongue. And, and I thought, why did the lady ask me to do that? These are hard lessons. And then she emailed me later, and she said, I needed that. It was really for me. I was like, okay, so maybe this is for you, right? I don't know. But uh, I am going to be speaking tonight on this topic. So let's pray, and we'll get into um, this time we're going to have together. Oh, Father, thank you so, so very much for bringing each one of these ladies here, old, middle-aged, young. Thank you for bringing Debbie and Mary and I here safely. Thank you for uh, the joy it will be to share uh, these truths, Lord, with these precious ladies. And I don't know who is here tonight that needs to hear this message. We all really do. But, Father, I pray that you will use the words to uh, penetrate our hearts and cause us to rethink about this very important topic and really command from Scripture to speak the truth in love. Lord, we are a culture that uh, minimizes not only sin, but has to be politically and religiously correct. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so, Lord, we have become very saltless and lightless in this world. We have become very stagnant because of our failure to speak the truth in love. And so, Father, <clears throat> I pray that you would encourage our hearts and stimulate our minds, even uh, help us to overcome what we've just eaten and what they've just eaten and uh, to be able to put that aside and put any distractions aside for your glory. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, as a pastor's wife of 46 years and as a certified biblical counselor for 20 years now, uh, there's a phrase that I often use when I meet with women, either for counseling or discipling. In fact, I've used this phrase probably more than any other phrase in the counseling or discipling room. And the phrase is, speak the truth in love. You need to speak the truth in love. I might give this counsel to a wife who is afraid to confront her husband. She's afraid of the backlash that she might receive for speaking the truth in love to him. Uh, it might be the counsel I give to a lady in my church who's afraid to go to another church member and confront about a situation that is troubling or that is sinful. Uh, it might be the counsel I would give to someone who doesn't know how to speak to her employer about things that are going on in the office that are unethical or sexual in some way. There are a lot of ways in which this is so important. I remember at the time that I was writing this, I was having to call my cable company and lovingly confront them. So, you know, what do you do when some service, either your cell phone service or your cable service or your utility service, is not a place of integrity and they're not doing the right thing? How do you speak the truth in love to them? These are just some of the scenarios, ladies, that we find ourselves in truly almost every day. Almost every day, a scenario is presented before you where you have to speak the truth in love, or you should speak the truth in love. And there are a number of things that make this very difficult. Uh, as I mentioned, we live in a post-truth world. Truth is no longer important. When my husband passed away, this really glared at me. Uh, I was just shocked when I went to go change his car tag into my name, uh, so his car, car tag, so I could sell his car, give his car away. And uh, the guy at the tag agency, he was asking me a series of questions, and he didn't like, you know, how I answered some of them. I didn't really was confused about what he was even asking me. And he said, well, why don't you just go down the street to the next tag agency and lie? And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, he doesn't know me. I'm not going down to the next tag agency and lie. But that's just expected. Everybody lies. The government lies. Everyone lies. And so it's challenging to speak truth in a world where lying is accepted. And ladies, when we speak the truth in love, we are looked at as archaic, judgmental, profiling, and we're not relevant to society. And so what happens to us? We start speaking lies instead of speaking truth. We start appealing to people's emotions rather than their intellect. And ladies, we're friends of the world instead of friends of the Lord when we do that. And so what we're going to do, you have an outline there before you this evening. We're going to answer uh, these questions, hopefully. What is speaking the truth in love? Why must we do it? Why don't we do it? Where do we do it? When do we do it? How do we do it? And what is the result of doing it? Now, before we can understand all the when, where, what, how, and why, we have to define what it is. What do I mean when I say you need to speak the truth in love? Well, the phrase actually comes, both of the times it's mentioned, is in Ephesians. And I noticed as you guys were coming in, and I didn't expect you to have your Bible, but uh, I noticed most of you didn't, But so if you don't, that's fine too. But most, uh, these two phrases come from Ephesians. And so if you have a Bible, turn there. I just want to give you 
uh, where this is coming from, that so you don't think I'm saying some off-the-wall thing. Uh, but the first mention of it is actually, and if you just want to listen, that's fine too, in Ephesians 4, uh, beginning in verse 11, where Paul is starting to talk about uh, spiritual gifts in the church. And he says, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be no longer children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And here we go. But speaking the truth in love, grow up to all things unto him is the head. So what, what's the context here? Well, we can see from this passage, Paul is instructing the church at Ephesus regarding your spiritual gifts, and then he lists a number of those gifts. And this isn't the only mentioning of spiritual gifts in the scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians, Romans, and 1 Peter uh, also has listing of gifts. But he's saying, why do, we do our, why do we use our gifts anyway? To equip the saints, to build up the body of Christ. And then he brings out the speaking the truth in love, which includes what? When you're using your gifts, you equip and edify the body by doing what? Speaking the truth in love. Many of you may have teaching gifts of some sort. You maybe have the gift of exhortation. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. Uh, maybe you have the gift of prophecy, and I'm not talking about foretelling the future. Prophecy in the New Testament was just a spiritual gift, just proclaiming the truth of God's word. But when we use those gifts, we must speak the truth in love. And ladies, it's so, well, I'm bringing this out to bring out a very important point. It's not about us. When we use our gifts, it's about the body of Christ. And so when I'm speaking the truth in love to someone, I don't worry about what they think about me. I need to be more concerned for them. In fact, just this week, I was telling Debbie at dinner tonight, I had three women just in the last week that I had to speak the truth in love to. It was very difficult for me. One of them I've been discipling for a long time. And finally I said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I need to tell you this. And I said, and I really, if I lose the friendship over it, it's okay. But I want to help you. This area is not good in your life, and I, I, I want to help you in this. And so I spoke the truth in love to her because I care more about her and the direction of her life. And in this particular situation, it was something she was doing in her marriage and uh, that wasn't good. And I, and I said, I'm more concerned about you and your marriage than I am about me and our friendship. And notice further, when we speak the truth in love, it's agape love. Ladies, that's the kind of love that considers the needs of those to whom we're speaking. And realize, if you really agape other people, you might lose the relationship. If you're going to speak the truth in love, and you're thinking about them more than you're thinking about yourself, you might lose the relationship. But ladies, you should be more concerned for their spiritual soul and their sanctification than you care about yourself. Be willing to pay the price if needing, need be. 
So when we speak the truth to others, we give them counsel. We don't do it from what we think is our own wisdom, but ladies, we use the words of the Lord. We don't use uh, our own wisdom, our own cleverness. Now, the second mentioning of this is in chapter 4, verse 25, and after this, we're going to get some down to some practical stuff, but I wanted to see, wanted you to see where this is coming from. Look at chapter 4, verse 25. He says, Wherefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members of each other. So ladies, instead of using my mouth to lie, I am to use my mouth for truth. And Paul says we speak the truth, which means we say what is true. Ladies, you are an image bearer of God. God is truth. And so we as his daughters should be speaking truth. Uh, we should be speaking the truth in love. We should be truth tellers. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, often uh, people will ask you, how are you doing today? That's a common question, right? How are you doing today? What's the pat answer? I'm fine. Liar. <laughs> it's not true all the time, is it? Um, I was asked that quite a bit after my husband passed away, uh, and I, I didn't say fine. I'm, I'm having a hard time, or it's not been a good day, or, you know, I'm struggling with my thought life, or I had a pity party over New Year's Day, you know, I speaking the truth or when I would go away on trips and and people would come back and they say oh I really missed you while you were gone and I'm thinking in my mind I didn't even think about you while I was gone so I mean <laughs> and so what I could have said oh I missed you too liar I would be lying right so I asked one of the ladies who discipled me I said what should I say because I'm not I don't miss these people I mean I don't sometimes don't even think about the women in my church when I'm out of town sorry if you're watching but uh, because I'm so busy, and Mary can testify to him when she goes back home tomorrow that, that, you know, the women don't travel with me very much. But So I learned to say thank you. That's very kind. You know, speak the truth in love. And so, ladies, we need to remember we should not lie but speak the truth. And then Paul says to our neighbor, speak the truth to our neighbor. Uh, this doesn't mean your next-door neighbor, that, but in the context here, it would be to a believer. And then he tells why. Because we're members of each other. We are members of each other. We're a part of the body of Christ. We're a temple. We're a body. We're a household. Therefore, we don't lie to each other. We speak the truth to each other. So if you're taking notes, we're going to answer the question, what is speaking the truth in love? What is it? It is speaking that which is correct doctrinally, that which proceeds from a biblically committed life to a person who's in need of correction. And ladies, it's done in love for the benefit of one who needs adjustment to their attitudes or their actions. It's a desire to help prompted by love. That's what motivates us to be faithful to this task. It's not always easy. Um, I remember one of the ladies who disciples me. She said, Susan, when you have to lovingly exhort someone, remember, first of all, if you ever enjoy it, you're in trouble. And I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it at all. But she said, remember when you do it, wear a white glove. In other words, she's saying, be gentle, be tender when you do that. Now, you might say, well, why must I do this? Why must I speak the truth in love? This is our second question. Uh, you might say, Susan, good grief. I mean, 
I don't want to meddle in anyone's business. Why should I do this? I, I have enough problems in my own life. <laughs> you don't understand my life, and I certainly don't need to invite more problems in my life by meddling in other people's business and speaking the truth in love to them. Well, ladies, we've already learned when answering the question, what is it? We do it because we love others, right? Um, I hope that you love me enough that if I ever needed some adjustment, that you would speak the truth in love to me, right? Uh, that's one thing I miss about not having my husband of almost 46 years. Uh, we had that relationship with each other. We loved each other enough that when one of us got out of line or needed some adjustment, we lovingly talked to one another. Uh, we didn't yell at each other and scream at each other, but we would lovingly say, and usually it was in the form of a question. Doug would say, Susan, have you considered that maybe, you know, da-da-da-da? And so they would open up dialogue, and we would talk. I miss that accountability. Uh, I miss that person in my life that would speak the truth in love to me. And so, ladies, it's because we want what is best for them. That is why we speak the truth in love, because we're members of the body. You know, Matthew 18, Jesus is very clear about this. If your brother offends you, you do what? You go, and you tell him his fault between you and him alone, right? And then if your brother hears you, if he, that's great. Then it's all over, right? But if he doesn't hear you, what do you do? You take two or three more, and you talk to him again in hopes he hears you. And if he doesn't, then you have to tell the church, and you know the rest of the story. I don't, I don't know if I'm speaking in a, to a group of people that uh, practice Matthew 18, but we know the passage. Why do we do this? For the good of the person. We want the sinner to stop sinning. Uh, we had a situation in our church uh, right before, maybe a year or two before my husband passed away, and it came to the final stage. And uh, he encouraged the young man to be here when the final stage happened, and he sat right there in the second row. And uh, after my husband named his name and the sin and that we'd been working with him for two or three years, it was, it was a beautiful thing. Rarely do I see this happen. But the church around him prayed for him. He's completely repented of that sin, and now he's preaching in our church and uh, getting his master's degree to go be a preacher. So that's the whole point, right? It stops the sinner from sinning. His sin was destroying his marriage. It was hurting his life, and it stopped the sinner from sinning, and he's a completely different man. And so, ladies, we have this responsibility to speak the truth in love because it's a command by God and also for the purity of the church. You know what happens when you have people in your church that are involved in life-dominating sins that they don't repent of? You know what happens? It weakens the resolve of everybody in the church, and that's why our churches are filled with carnal and lost people. Because we're filling them now with people that are involved in life-dominating sins. They say, well, hey, if she can live in fornication and stay in this church, well, I can do this and stay in this church. And so no longer are we offering a pure bride to our Lord. We have churches filled with people that are living in sin. I'm not talking about just sinning. We all sin, right? You've sinned today. You may be sinning right now by saying, I wish that person would go back to Oklahoma and uh, get out of here. And so you maybe have evil thoughts in your heart right now towards me, but God knows that. Don't remember. He knows what's in your mind. And uh, But we do. We all sin. But I'm talking about life-dominating sins that they don't repent of. And so, ladies, remember what Paul said when that man was committing incest in the church in 1 Corinthians. 
He said, put that evil man out. He said, don't be deceived about this. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so you leave a man in your church that's committing incest? What's going to happen? Everybody knows about it, right? Everybody talks about it. Well, hey, if he can get by with that, well, I can do what I need want to do. And so, ladies, it's for the purity of the church, and this is God's church. Another reason for speaking the truth in love is found in James. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but at the end of James, it says, Brethren, if anyone is wandering from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Ladies, saving a soul from death, saving a soul from going to hell, that's a good reason to speak the truth in love, right? That is a wonderful reason to speak the truth in love. So why then do we speak the truth in love if you're taking notes? We must speak the truth in love because, first of all, it's a command. Matthew 18 is very clear. If your brother offends, you go. We also speak the truth in love because if you don't, it affects the purity of the church. And we must speak the truth in love because, thirdly, it has a powerful potential to stop the sinner from sinning. Ladies, that's the beauty of Matthew 18. If you take care of it that first time, everybody in the church doesn't even have to know about it. I mean, when my husband was pastoring, he pastored for 50 years before the Lord took him home. He preached that many years. Do you know in all the times that we had these situations, it was beautiful in the sense that most time, the first time you go, they take care of it, and not the whole church doesn't even have to know about it. It's a private issue. And so it stops the sinner from being exposed. These are marvelous reasons for speaking the truth in love. The next question we have there on your outline, why don't we speak the truth in love? Why don't we do this? I know one of my concerns for many, many years now has been the lack of biblical confrontation among God's children. We refuse to do the right thing. So instead of speaking the truth in love, I hate you in my heart. Instead of speaking the truth in love, I gossip about you. Instead of speaking the truth in love, I'm bitter towards you. And so we would choose rather to sin in our hearts than to do the right thing. Or as a pastor's wife, instead of uh, people in my church speaking the truth in love, they come to me <laughs> and tell me about it. And then I usually say, have you gone to that person? And if they haven't gone to that person, I usually would hold them accountable to go to that person and take care of it and hold them accountable to it. Ladies, those are wrong ways of handling offenses. We have to do the right thing. So why don't we speak the truth in love? Why do we allow offenses to go on for so long? The first reason, we, if you're taking notes, the first reason we don't speak the truth in love is fear of man. Fear of man. Oh, I'm afraid I'll lose my friendship with her. I'm afraid I'll lose my marriage. I don't want to strain the relationship. We've been friends for 25 years. I can't do that. Ladies, listen very carefully. If you're asleep from pasta, wake up. This attitude just compounds your sin. It compounds your own sin of not doing the right thing. Paul warns us, if I seek to please men, I'm not a servant of Christ. I'm not a servant of Christ. In fact, Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill your body, but rather fear him who can destroy both, both soul and body in hell. And so, ladies, we shouldn't fear man. Fear of man should never be a reason 
for our excuse for not doing the right thing. In fact, I remember years ago after the Lord saved me, one of my mentors, well, both of my mentors saw that I had problems with fears in my life, and one of them uh, had me look up every word in the Old and New Testament that pertained to fear. There's a bunch of them, because I have the study still at my house. And because uh, she knew this was wrong. The fears, the different fears I had were wrong. So I looked up every word in the Bible and did a fear word study. And you know what I discovered? I discovered that we are not to fear anyone except God. That's it. Not to fear, except there's one, there's one example of fearing our parents. And that is it. So ladies, fear is not a reason. But that is why a lot of people don't confront Another reason we don't speak the truth in love is because fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. Susan, you don't understand. Uh, that person will think I'm self-righteous. They'll think I'm judgmental. Uh, I can't do that. I, you know, I want to be liked. <laughs> I want friends. I want people to like me. Ladies, we need to remember what Peter said about our Lord he says, for to this we call because Christ suffered for us, leaving in an example that we should follow in his steps. He didn't commit sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. He spoke the truth in love. Read the pages of the New Testament, right? Jesus spoke the truth in love. When he was reviled, he didn't revile back. When he suffered, he didn't, he didn't threaten back. He committed himself to the one who judges righteously. And so, ladies, as we do this, and we might be rejected, we might be hated, we can take comfort in the fact that our Lord was hated too, right? But he committed it to the Lord. He was rejected, and we can cast our cares on him. Another reason we don't speak the truth in love is because we fear not knowing what to say. I don't know what to say. I mean, I know this is wrong, and I know this relationship isn't right, and I know they're not living right. But Susan, I don't know what to say. Well, this is a legitimate fear in the sense that we do need to educate ourselves, you know, about what to say. But ladies, Paul says in Romans 15, 14, he said, I'm persuaded that you're full of goodness, full of knowledge, and you're able to counsel each other. You don't need a biblical counselor. You just need a Christian friend that loves you enough to speak the truth in love, right? So that means that we must know the word enough, well enough, to go and lovingly talk to the person. Ladies, we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the truth. This means I must know what God says about what I'm getting to admonish, getting ready to admonish this person about. For example, what does God say about sexual sin? What does God say about harsh husbands? What does God say about paying your taxes? What does God say about businesses who lie about their products? What does God say about wives who are not submissive to their husbands? What does God say about anger, unforgiveness, drunkenness, homosexuality, transgenderism, employees who are lazy? These are just a few of the issues that, ladies, we would need to know. Would you know how to lovingly admonish anyone caught up in one of those sins I just mentioned? Would you know from Scripture how to lovingly admonish someone do you know enough about these issues ladies peter tells us he's given us everything we need for life and godliness the word of god is sufficient it is authoritative it is powerful but there's no reason for us not to be prepared so 
If you're answering this question in your notes, we don't speak the truth in love because we fear man, we fear rejection, and we fear not knowing what to say. Now, another question you might have is, where do I do this, Susan? Where do I speak the truth in love? I mean, is this just something I do in my home? Is this something that's just for the church? Do I really take care of all offenses? <laughs> I mean, what? where do I do this? Well, we do know what the Bible says, right? As much as possible, live peaceably with all men, right? So that means if you have any relationship that is strained for any reason, the Bible says as much as is possible within you, live peaceably with all men. Now, some men are hard to live peaceably with. And some of you, I'm sure, have tried every avenue to make restitution and reconciliation with people, and yet they refuse. But that's on them, not on you. So with that in mind, the answer, where, where do we do this? We're going to answer in four ways. We do this in our hearts, our homes, our house of worship, and our hostile world. So first of all, ladies, you have to speak the truth in your own heart. You might say, what do you mean? Listen to this proverb, wise proverb. As in water, face reflects a face. You can see your face in the water. So a man's heart reveals the man. Ladies, how can we speak the truth in love to others if we haven't spoke the truth in love to our own heart? Make sure you're clearly seeing the issues with this person. Make sure it's not clouded by bitterness, resentment. Make sure, as Jesus says, when he says, judge not, lest you be judged, for with what judgment you will be judged. And he goes, why do you behold the little tiny speck of dust in your brother's eye when you have a two-by-four in your eye? <laughs> so before you go speak the truth in love to someone, what do you do? Get that two-by-four out of your eye, clean up your heart, get your heart right, and then go help your brother with that little speck in his eye. And so, ladies, examine yourself. Is your heart right? Look into the mirror of God's word. How can you help your brother or your sister if you yourself have a heart that is full of bitterness, resentment, hatred, anger? Clean up your heart and then go to your brother or sister. So examine your heart. Speak the truth to your heart. Then once you've done the self-examination and you're ready, pray prayerfully, humbly approach someone. So secondly, we must speak the truth in love not only in our heart but in our homes, in our homes. Now, ladies, this doesn't mean you go around, you know, tomorrow morning and get it. All right, husband, line up. I'm speaking the truth in love to you. Children, line up, you know. It doesn't mean you speak to your husband and your children about every little sin and every little thing they've done. But it does mean this, ladies. If you have a child that is, has an ongoing issue, you don't ignore it. You speak the truth in love. And, of course, if he's of the age of discipline, he might have to, you know, spank his little bottom when need be. Uh, and if you're husband, I often hear from women, well, I've never heard that. You mean a wife can lovingly speak the truth in love to her husband? She can confront him? Yeah, that's what my Bible says, right? If your brother offends, you go. And it doesn't say unless he's your husband, right? You go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. In fact, I remember uh, years and years ago, Elizabeth Elliot, whom I dearly love, and she's in glory now, but 
she was reading a book over the radio, and some of the ladies in my church were concerned about uh, the content of the book, not hers, but another lady. Uh, the, the title of the book was Me Obey Him. And it basically was you could your husband you were supposed to do whatever your husband told you to do, even if he told you to go commit adultery, you're just supposed to do whatever. And uh, so I was I read the book, got very concerned. So I wrote her a letter back then. You know there was no email, so I wrote her actually handwritten letter, and I still have all the the documentation at home in my files. But I said, you know, my name is Susan Heck, and you know I I love you, and uh, you're an older woman in my life, but I have a concern about this book. And I said, because one of the other things the book said was a husband, a wife could never confront her husband. And I said, I don't understand that in light of scripture and Matthew 18. I cited that passage. And I said, if your brother offends you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And that would include your husband. In fact, uh, and so she wrote me back very graciously. And she said, thank me for my letter. And she said, you certainly have given me cause for pause. I had not considered Matthew 18. Then she sent my letter to the author of the book, and that didn't go so well. And my husband got involved, and it was it was a mess after that. But she took, and I spoke the truth in love to her. And I was kind of I was kind of fearful to do that. I was just a young girl in my 30s, and and uh, you know I really highly respected her and went to all her conferences when I was a young woman. But I thought this isn't right. And uh, so, ladies, yes, your husband. In fact. Um, uh, someone asked my husband one time, who holds you accountable? And he said, are you kidding? Do you know my wife? And, um, and But, you know, I after I got saved, I had to realize how to do it because I hadn't done it right. I, I was angry. I had a temper. I had, there was a lot of life-dominating sins in my own life until God saved me. And so when I was trying to learn how to speak to my husband in the way that I should, um, I had to practice and learn it, uh, how to open up dialogue instead of shut down communication. So I remember one time I had to go talk to him. He was in his office, and, and I, I don't remember now what the issue was. And as I was turning around to leave, to go back out in the kitchen or my office, he said, hey, Susan. And I turned back around. He said, um, I not only want to thank you for your rebuke, but I want to thank you for how you did it. And so I was like, yes, I've learned how to do this. So, uh, But it does mean, ladies, in your home, your husband, your children, um, and I've met women, they would rather hate their husband in their heart. They would rather withhold sex or threaten or manipulate than to go and speak the truth in love to him. And so, ladies, we, that is what we need to do in our homes. In fact, the Bible says don't hate your brother in your heart. Leviticus says don't hate your brother in your heart. Rather rebuke your brother. Don't allow sin on your brother. That would include your husband. Thirdly, we must speak the truth in love in our houses of worship. This would be the body of believers. It might be someone who attends your church, or it might just be another Christian uh, that you know that is uh, doing something they shouldn't be doing. And so we go to them, and we hopefully they will repent. And if there's no repentance, uh, then we do what Matthew 18 says, but hopefully they will repent. It's very difficult when you have to go to someone that's not in your church uh, most churches don't even practice Matthew 18, but still you have to do the right thing and lovingly go and warn them. And ladies, do it quickly, especially if it's someone in your church. Uh, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> if you come to the altar, come to church, come to the synagogue, or come to the house of worship, and you know your brother has something against you, he says, leave your gift there, go your way, take care of your offense, and then come and worship me. And then he says, do it quickly. 
Do it quickly. Least what? Your adversary get an advantage of you. So, ladies, we don't put those things off. Paul says, as much as possibly, I have a clear conscience toward God and man. So we do it quickly. Don't wait a year. Don't wait two years. Do it quickly. Next, number four, we speak the truth in love to a hostile world, to a hostile world. Ladies, notice when you put these four together, it encompasses everyone. (laughs) Your heart, your home, house of worship, and a hostile world. Now, I do want to give you a warning, 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 warning. When you speak the truth in love in a hostile world or to a hostile person, you will probably be persecuted. But Jesus was, right? If the world hates you, don't worry. They hated me first. If you're persecuted, don't worry. They persecuted me first. Remember when John the Baptist went and told Herod, you know, he remember Herod put him in prison because of his because of Herodias, Philip's wife. Remember John said, it's not lawful for you to have her. <laughs> She's not yours to have. And remember when the daughter of Herodias was dancing before Herod, and he said, what, give it, what do you want? I'll give it to you. And she said, could you please? She went and told her mother, ask her mother first. What do you want me to ask John the Baptist for? And he, she said, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And remember, it says the king was very sorry that he did that. But for his oath's sake, he did it. <clears throat> and he went and had John's head cut off. Now, you probably won't get your head cut off, for speaking the truth in love, but John the Baptist did. And uh, I've had some pretty interesting things happen to me on some of my speaking engagements. I haven't had my head cut off yet, but I've had women that have handled me physically and gotten angry with me. Uh, But, you know, you have to speak the truth in love, right? Uh, One was a woman who told me that God told her to fornicate before she got married. And I said, well, the God of the Bible didn't tell you that. That's kind of how I said it. And uh, anyway, when the conference was over, she was waiting to beat me up in the parking lot so for telling her that but uh, so you might but it's okay ladies you'll never regret doing what's right you'll always regret doing what's wrong and we need to stand for Christ we need to stand for his word and what he says we should be doing so where do we speak the truth in love we speak the truth in our hearts in our homes house of worship and our hostile world Now, you might say, when do we do this? When do we speak the truth in love? Well, when we consider the timing of speaking the truth in love, first of all, quickly, right? Jesus says, do it quickly. Don't wait for a convenient time or you'll never get around to doing it. Now, I will say this, especially in your home, especially with a husband, um, you want to make sure that he's well-fed, not tired. (laughs) You know, there are, the timing is perfect. You you know, you want to make sure uh, that the timing is well. But, you know, when, when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, preach the word, be diligent in season, out of season, out of season. In other words, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. Sometimes it's not convenient to speak the truth in love. Other times it looks like a convenient time. But ladies, we are to be ready in season and out of season. And so we do it hopefully quickly, and we do it when it's convenient and when it's not. Now, once we've pointed out the error biblically, uh, Paul says that we, when we do this, he says, uh, let me find my passage here, I've kind of, oh, 2 Timothy, preach the word, be diligent, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and notice what he says, with all long suffering and doctrine. So once you've pointed out the error to the person, 
Paul says you rebuke. Now, I know for us that sounds, whoa, what? That sounds so harsh. Ladies, rebuke is not a negative word. Um, rebuking, as Paul is saying, he says you do it with gentleness and long-suffering. So you do it in meekness, kindness. Your tone of voice is very important. Uh, do it in the form of a question. That's what Jesus did. Um, I remember when my daughter was home one summer, she'd been at college, and she came home for a summer, and I was on the phone with a lady in my church, and I hung up the telephone, and she said, Mom, do you think what you said to that lady was necessary? I said, when are you going back to school, young lady? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> that was her way of lovingly rebuking me. Mom, what you just said to that lady was not necessary. She did not need to hear that. And she was right. It stung, but it was a, a loving rebuke. And I'm so thankful. I do have a daughter and a son, both, uh, who will lovingly admonish me when I need to be admonished. And so I'm thankful for that. And so you point it out. You lovingly rebuke them. And ladies, we are really, I'm serious, we are really lacking in this area. I remember one time I was counseling a, a woman, and she came in, and she said, Susan, you're the first Christian counselor I've been to who's told me I'm in sin. And she said all the others just tried to minimize it, justify it, you know. And I said, well, I, I love God too much, <laughs> and I don't know you yet, but I would be concerned about myself, but only be true to the, the scriptures or to God if I didn't tell you that this is an area that you need to repent of. Ladies, when we point out things to people and name sin what it is, that gives them help and hope. When we minimize sin, when we give it a psychologized name, there's no hope. There's no remedy for that. But with God, there's hope. His word brings hope. So once we've reproved and rebuked, ladies, Paul says, then we encourage. We encourage. And so once you say, hey, you know, I've noticed this area in your life. And, and in fact, the lady I was talking to the other day about a situation in their marriage, uh, she said, well, how do I do this? And I said, well, instead of saying what you said like this, I said, let me give you another way of how to say what you just said in a kind tone of voice that's not going to put your husband on the defense. She goes, oh, that makes sense. And so we encourage, we give hope, we give help, and we tell them, you know, God can help you. You know, hey, there's a, there's a remedy for your lust. It's love. Uh, there's a remedy for your hatred. What is it? Forgiveness. You know, so we teach them what they need to put on instead. And ladies, we are to be patient uh, with all men. The wonderful thing about following this principle laid out is, ladies, it will help them. Uh, if you just say, hey, what you're doing is wrong, and you need to stop it. <laughs> That's not going to help them, right? But if you point out what it is very lovingly, very kindly, through God's word, and I even often will say, you know, I, I hope you come to me next week if I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, or you know what, I used to struggle with this too, and let me show you what, how God's helped me, uh, let me show you and tell you about the things that I've learned in my marriage, or with my children, or uh, with difficult church members, or whatever, let me show you how God has helped me through this, and so you give them hope and help, and then follow through with it, hold them accountable, uh, be willing to, you know, meet with them again, be willing to text and call them, whatever it is, and make sure that they've done their part in doing what they need to do. So when do we speak the truth in love? We speak the truth in love when it's convenient, when it's not, and we do it promptly. Now you might say, well, how do we do this? How do we speak the truth in love? 
Maybe you're wondering, how should I approach someone about an issue? I want to encourage you, number one, give it a lot of prayer. <laughs> a lot of prayer. Pray before, during, and after. Pray that God would open their heart to hear truth. Pray while you're speaking that your words would not fall on deaf ears or a hard heart. Pray afterward that the dear Holy Spirit would do the work of convicting them of sin and lead them to repentance. Pray. And ladies, be patient. People don't change overnight. People do not change overnight. And so sometimes it's long, drawn-out thing. Be very patient with them. Give them time to think about it. Uh, Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore each other. In a spirit of meekness, consider yourself. So you want to consider yourself. Uh, Paul says in another place, Brethren, mourn those that are unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, support the weak. But then all three classifications of those people, he says, be patient. <laughs> be patient. And uh, my husband used to remind me uh, of my name, Tender Lily, but he also used to say, Susan, in patience, possess your soul. And what he was trying to tell me was I wasn't being very patient. And so we want to be very, very patient. Uh, we don't want to be involved in quarreling. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel. And ladies, if you start uh, speaking the truth in love to someone and you start getting out of control, you start quarreling, you start becoming harsh, uh, I would say you need to stop regroup and try it again because you're never going to win anybody over with that kind of an attitude or tone of voice we must be gentle remember what Paul says we were gentle among you just like a nursing mother who cherishes her child right and so be tender be gentle now I will say this there may come a time you have to use a stronger tone of voice I would say especially in your home with a child you know you can try the kind thing and the nice thing, but there may come a time you notch it up a little bit. And, uh, you know, I did with even my seven grandkids sometimes, you know. I, if they didn't listen to for Josiah MacArthur or, you know, Ethan Allen. Yes. I remember one time I was working nursery. I don't know if Deb remembers this, but uh, in our church nursery, and we weren't allowed to spank the kids, obviously. And so I had one child in there just, I mean, he would not obey me, and he was, he was being terrible. So I went up to him. I took him by the arm like this and I said I'm Josiah and Jackson's grandma and I spank really hard and he was like oh and uh, he was like man the rest of Sunday school he was an angel and uh, so sometimes you might have to especially with a rebellious child or something you might have to you know be, it says be angry but don't sin in your anger so sometimes it's good for them to see this is displeasing to mom and dad and you might have to raise your voice with them, but I wouldn't recommend that with a husband or anyone, especially someone in a hostile world. You might get your head caught off like John the Baptist, and then it wouldn't be a good deal. But I think the mild tone is the best. And we do have an example of Jesus when he, the woman taken adultery, what did he say? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. However, with those in the, in the temple, uh, you know, he, when he was casting out the, those, those in the temple, I mean, he was ticked off. <laughs> I, I, I didn't hear him, I read it, but I mean, I can only imagine, you've made my house a prayer, a den of thieves, and I can imagine he was, he was not very happy. So, uh, but for the most part, I would say you want to be gentle and kind. Now, how do we speak the truth and love if you're answering that question? We speak with gentleness, humility, examining ourselves, bathe it in prayer, bathe it in prayer. Now, what is the result of speaking the truth in love? This is the best part. 
What's the result? Ladies, when we stop to consider the potential results of speaking the truth in love, I hope it'll motivate you to do it more often when it needs to be done. Paul gives a lot of reasons and results of speaking the truth in love in Timothy. He says, in humility, we are to correct each other. If God, perhaps, will grant repentance, they'll know the truth, come to their senses, escape the snare of the devil, as they have been taken captive by him to do his will. So what's the fruit of doing this? What's the benefit of it? Well, the first thing he says, they'll repent. <laughs> what it, maybe, you don't, maybe we don't understand repentance today. You know what repentance is? That's one thing I hadn't done until the Lord saved me at the age of 30. You know, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I got baptized. Uh, walking an aisle didn't save me. Praying the prayer didn't save me. Baptism didn't, for sure, we know that. But repentance, I mean, that was the first time that I repented when I was 30. Um, I was going this way. I was heading down a, a road of sin. I was a slave to sin. And uh, when the Lord saved me and showed me my sin and my deception and my hypocrisy and all the wickedness that I was doing, uh, as Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, what you are at home is what you are. And what I was at home is not what I was at church and everywhere else. So I repented. So I was going this way. And you know what? I turned around started going that way. That's repentance. I was no longer a slave to sin. I was a slave to Christ. And he was my Lord. No longer was Susan Joy Heck the Lord of her life. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? So I repented. And uh, it's been a joyful life ever since then. So you bring the person to repentance. That's the first thing. Uh, turning away from their sin. It might be salvation. I mean, this person might not be saved, but if they're involved in some sin, it turns them away from their sin. But Paul also says not only does it do that, but it corrects them. They come to the truth. For example, maybe you're lovingly admonishing someone who's caught up in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We have a lady here today that used to be caught up in that. It's possible speaking the truth in love to them will help them understand the error of the Word of Faith movement and bring them into correct doctrine. Uh, we have this uh, example of, a uh, remember Paul, Paulus, he, in Acts chapter 16, uh, he was teaching baptism, but he was only teaching John's baptism. And it says Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and explained to him the way of God more excellency, excellent. In fact, the Greek order is that Priscilla did most of the talking and so they corrected Apollos in what? He was in error about baptism. And so it could be something as simple as that. Uh, or just the issue of uh, this lady over here said that too. She said she's submitting to her husband. So something as simple as that. So they repent. They see the truth of what you're saying. And then they turn from their error. Uh, one of the ladies just recently that I've discipled for several years and and uh, she's fallen into a pit. She lives in a, in a third world country and uh, where the lockdown has been horrific and they can't see people and they can't have to stay in their homes. And she was getting in a, in a pit. And I talked to her and I said, listen, you're, it's dangerous. You've got to find a way to get with God's people. And, and this is not a good thing that's happening to you. A man who isolates himself brings himself to destruction, the Bible says. So I was very loving, very kind. I kind of notched it up a little bit. And, and I... You know, we finished our time on Skype, and I didn't know what was going to happen. The next morning, I got an email from her, 
And she said, thank you. Thank you for your admonition. And, and then we met, we've met again since then one more time. And uh, there's a change. Her countenance has lifted. And I took a risk there. But I knew if I didn't say something, the next time I talked to her, she's probably going to be suicidal. And uh, so I needed to speak the truth in love. And so it changes. It changes them. Uh, and they repent, and they're brought into truth. And that's another thing Paul says. If we speak the truth in love, this person may come to their senses. They change their thinking as a one that's wakened out of a deep sleep. <laughs> Paul says in Ephesians, Therefore, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. Another result that comes from correcting others with humility, Paul says they escape the snare of the devil. Ladies, the devil is full of tricks. He loves to deceive us. He's walking around right now like a roaring lion wanting to devour you. He wants to steal hunt and kill you and so these people that we speak the truth and love they're caught up in the snare of the devil and so you can help right you can help them and they will realize hopefully they've been taken captive by the evil one ladies when we put all these things together we see some truly wonderful things that can come from our efforts of speaking the truth and love repentance knowledge of the truth coming to your senses Escaping the snare of the evil one. My friend, these are excellent results. Excellent. As we endeavor to speak the truth to those who are in need of it, our prayer and hope will always be that repentance and restoration of relationships will take place. Now, having said all this, let me say this. Sometimes when you do the right thing, it doesn't always produce these results. Sometimes... It will produce results maybe you don't like. But remember what Jesus, Paul said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. You will suffer persecution. Some people won't like it. But ladies, suffering is a gift. It's not a curse. It's a gift. Actually, uh, Paul says it's been given to you on the behalf of Christ. It's a gift. It's been given to you on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. Now, I know that suffering is not on your birthday list this year. But Paul says it's a gift. Oh, we like the gift of salvation. Yes, Paul, we love that. But the gift of suffering? You know, I know people that flee from persecution. They do everything they can to avoid it. But ladies, godly men, godly women will know their Lord suffered. They're going to suffer too. If you're rejected and persecuted and hated, for doing the right thing, ladies, consider it a privilege to suffer for the one who suffered for you, gave his blood for you, died for you. Don't shy away from controversy or speaking up when there is incorrect doctrine. Don't shy away from speaking the truth in love to someone who's caught in sin. It's a wonderful opportunity to prove your loyalty to your Lord. And draw close to him. Well, speaking the truth in love is certainly a popular phrase which is used often in Christian circles, but I wonder if we're actually doing it effectively for the glory of God. Speaking the truth in love in a post truth world is sometimes challenging, but a wise Christian woman will remember the wisdom of Solomon's words in Proverbs 8 7. For my mouth will speak truth, wickedness is an abomination to my lips. 
I hope you will live out speaking the truth and love in a post-truth world. And by way of closing, I just wanted to give you a couple of examples. Uh, these are in my book, and there's more of them there, but just a couple of them. This is a wrong way that you want to talk to your husband. Hands on your hips, raise voice, and abruptly say, I want to talk to you right now. That's the Atlanta way, right now. That is not the way. You walk in gently. Do you have some time to talk with me? See the difference? Or another wrong way to talk to your husband. You're consistently leaving your dirty clothes on the floor, for, and quite frankly, I'm sick of it. That's going to really help your marriage, right? Here's a right way to speak the truth in love. Is there something I can do to encourage you to pick up your clothes? It's becoming... Become Or, here's a wrong way, <clears throat> if you don't stop this sinful anger, I'm going to the pastor to have you put out of the church. <laughs> That's not going to win your husband, ladies. <clears throat> here's a kind way. Honey, I've noticed your anger is becoming more frequent. I'm really concerned for your soul because the word is clear that ongoing anger is a sin worthy of eternal punishment. Can we go together to get some help? Or here's, if you're talking to Cox Cable or your server of some sort, if you don't lower my bill and stop deceiving your customers, I'm going to stop my service with you. You guys are nothing but wicked pagans. There, that'll help your, that'll help your server. Here's a right way. I'm trying to understand why our bill keeps going up every month. It seems I have to call often and get it lowered. The last person I spoke to told me something different than you just did. I actually had to use that. Um, and here's some questions maybe. What if my authority figure, my husband or pastor, doesn't think I should confront, speak the truth and love to an individual? Um, I would ask them for biblical evidence that this is not the right thing to do, find out reasons why they're saying that. Uh, but again, I would obey your, I would obey the Lord over your pastor or your husband. If you know that God wants you to go to this person and speak to the truth to loving him, then I would say you do that anyway. Uh, graciously, you say that you're going to do it graciously. Uh, what if my husband is violent or verbally abusive, and I'm fearful to say anything to him even though he, it needs to be said? In this situation, uh, I would do the confrontation in a public place and have a friend or a pastor nearby. I would call 911 if there's physical abuse uh, of any sort or make use of any legal protections that are available. Another question I'm often asked is, what if I'm unsure that an individual should be spoken to regarding a certain matter? Um, if you're unsure, you might talk to an older woman, older your pastor, uh, just generically give the issue of what it is, get their wise counsel re before proceeding. Um, one more question. I'm not going to go through all these. What if I've done this in the past and now I realize I did it all wrong. <laughs> well, the righteous thing to do is go to the person and say, I'm really sorry. You know, I remember when I spoke the truth to you, but I didn't do it in love. Would you please forgive me? And um, from now on, I'm really going to try to speak the truth in love to you and have more God-honoring speech. So I have a leather, not a, a, many other helps in the back of the booklet. Uh, so anyway, I want to thank 
uh, Pam for inviting me to speak to you on this topic. And again, interesting topic for a women's event, a celebration, but, but nonetheless, I'll be at the book table if you have other questions regarding what I've just spoken on. Or if you want to uh, purchase any books or talk to Deb and me, we'd be, we'll stay along as long as you want us to be here, all right? Thank you for your attention. Desperation, I seek heaven and pray this for you. I pray for your healing, the circumstances would change. I pray that the fear inside would flee when Jesus. 
circumstances will change. I pray that the fear inside.